Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, brings us part four of our series, Bad Girls of the Bible. All right, good morning, Faith Church. Good to see you guys today. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. So if you don't know who I am, you're probably a first-time guest. So welcome. We hope today is an incredible experience for you. We love what we do here. We love to be able to love people, put together great worship and a relevant message to your life. But above everything, our hope is each and every week that God would do something to impact your heart and life. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. But whatever your struggle is, whatever your opportunity is, we believe that God gives grace and hope and peace and joy. And if you'll open up your heart, he'll change your life forever. Amen. So we hope, uh, if you're new here, you're watching online, we hope today's a great experience. To all of our faith family, man, welcome. We're glad you're here this weekend. We know as we're into the summer session, people start to travel and get away, but we're glad that you decided to show up and be here live and in person. Before I get rolling, two things real quick. Personally, I want you to celebrate with me. My oldest daughter turns 2-1 today, 21. Will you show her some love? My oldest daughter, uh, Kayla. If y'all would give her gifts, that means I wouldn't have to. That'd be awesome. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, also, my wife and I, we celebrate 24 years of marriage tomorrow. So, so if, you're, uh, if you're doing math, um, that makes me 25 because we were committed at age one to be together. So, yeah, so <laughs> I'm a blessed man. I got a great family. God's doing big things. I love what he's doing in my life. So let's pray. Ask God to bless our time together. Father, we love you. We thank you for grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that um, every life and every heart... God, will be truly impacted with your presence. Father, I pray open ears to hear, God, what it is that you want to say to us as individuals, God, to us as a church family. Lord, I pray God speak to us. Lord, change us. Father, we pray, God, tonight, game two for the Cavs in Oakland. God, bless them with strength and victory in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, man. Love me some Cavs. If you ain't got a dog in the race, be for my dog. All right, well, listen, man, there's a lot of things, you know, that we face in life that can be difficult. A lot of things in this life can hurt us, like loss and disappointment. But there is um, not much in this world that can hurt us like rejection. Rejection is such a powerful thing that um, probably all of us in this room have felt at one time or another. You know, I just know that if you live life long enough, if you wake up every morning and you go out into this world, you're going to be rejected by somebody Again, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that it's such a powerful thing, but at the same time, almost unavoidable. All of us in this room, we have stories of that feeling of not being enough, not being good enough, not being wanted, not being important enough, not, not feeling like we fit in, not feeling like we have it all together. And, you know, it's, it's such a challenge. And again, we all go through it. It, it starts early on in life and that, those feelings never abandon us. They never stop. There's never opportunities that go away. Again, whether you're in junior high, whether you're in high school, college, whether you're a young adult, whether you're a senior adult, there are just these things that we face where, again, people look at us, situations look at us, and just kind of tell us, like, you're not wanted, you're not needed, you're not, you're not enough, you're not important enough, you don't have what it takes. We live in this world where we're constantly being measured, and we feel like we don't measure up. 
And it goes, you know, again, all the way back, if you think through opportunities, it starts, you know, as young kids, feeling like, again, are we going to fit in at school? Everybody here probably remembers in, in elementary school or junior high, lining up on the wall to decide if you get picked to be on the team. One of the things that scars you for life. I mean, if you were the most athletic kid and you were always a team captain, you don't know anything that we're talking about. Uh, I wasn't the least athletic kid, but I wasn't the most athletic kid. So, you know, it was always that pressure like, please pick me next. Please pick me next. Because there was something about, you know, someone looking up the line and passing you like, shoot, I just got rejected again. Everybody's been there, that feeling of, again, that you're not enough. And it goes through, if you've played sports, wondering, did I make the team? You know, did I, did I run fast enough? Did I play hard enough? Did, did I make it or not? Did I make the cheerleading squad? Did I make the football team? Did I make, right, it just goes through. And there's nothing like feeling like you're rejected. Just the pain of that to think, man, other people are enough, but I'm not. It goes through into college, you know, trying to get in. This is why a lot of college students or those going into college, we have two and three options of where you want to go to school because you know there's a chance you may not get into the school you want because rejection is something real that happens in life, that, that someone's going to look at your transcripts, someone's going to look at your achievements and say, you're not enough. You're not good enough for our school. We go to school, and then we try to get in certain programs in school. I remember when I was in Akron U and trying to make it into the engineering program at that time. And, you know, I always pushed myself really hard. I took a lot of credit hours, tried to finish quick. So every semester took 18, 19 credit hours. Even in the summer, I would go both summer sessions and just push it. One summer session, I took Calc 3, which is not a class you should take as a summer session. And I'll never forget, like, man, I knew I was struggling. I knew, like, it wasn't clicking like some other math. There was a lot of information quick. And I remember thinking at that time, if you got anything below, um, anything a D or an F, you didn't make it into the College of Engineering. You, wouldn't, you weren't accepted. And so I knew I didn't go well. Some of you guys remember back in the day when you didn't get your, you know, your transcripts, you didn't get your grades emailed to you. You had to go to the classroom. You had to look at the sheet of paper outside. Um, I'll never forget that day. In fact, it's a reoccurring dream of mine. Does anybody have a reoccurring dream or nightmare? I still, this is true, every now and then I still relive that day of going thinking, Lord, please, please just let me have passed. And I'll never forget going down, finding my name, and I got a C minus. That was the best C minus I ever seen in my life. <laughs> Woo! I'm thankful. But why, man? Because I didn't want rejection that I didn't get into school. We face rejection in relationships. Everybody in this room, you've been told no. Everybody in this room, in fact, if you've never been rejected in a relationship, you would still be with your junior high sweetheart, right? But the fact you're not with them, you're with someone else, it means you either rejected someone else or someone rejected you, or there was a lot of rejection along the way. You're only with the person who refused to reject you. That's sobering, isn't it? That's sobering. We face rejection on jobs. Do we get the promotion or does someone else get it? Does someone else get the raise? And like it's just this constant thing that everyone in this room, you have felt and I have felt the sting of rejection of being put underneath someone's microscope, being put underneath the magnifying glass and just feeling like I'm not enough. Someone looking at us, someone telling us that you're not smart enough, strong enough, you don't have enough together, you've made too many mistakes, you're not wanted, you're not needed. We've all been there. And so the challenge is like how do we wrestle with it? Again, it goes all the way through life. The biggest challenge is, you know, we all feel that way, I think, at times about ourselves. If we're honest... If we're really vulnerable today, like sometimes we look in the mirror and we just feel that way. But the greatest challenge isn't in all these other arenas and all these other areas. But I think the greatest challenge is for us in feeling rejection is in our connection with Christ. 
Like feeling like, can I, can I have a relationship with God? Like, would God ever really love me? Would I ever really fit in? Because if we're honest, there are times, you know, and I've heard it said, you've heard it said, you know, you invite somebody to church and the response is this, hey, if I ever show up there to church, what will happen? The roof will cave in. Well, people say that, and I think in part they're joking, but I think that's sometimes people's insecurity speaking. Sometimes their feelings of rejection, like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I fit in. I don't have the right clothes. I don't have the right look. I don't know enough. And so we struggle with that feeling personally, not just personally in our connection with Christ, but we have a real spiritual enemy. Some of you need to know this. The greatest tool the enemy has is to tell you that you're not enough, that you're rejected by God that he brings this heavy weight of condemnation and he reminds us of our mistakes and he reminds us of our shortcomings. If you're perfect, this doesn't apply to you. But for all the imperfect people in the house, come on, make some noise. He's able to remind us where you've messed up, where you've fallen short, where you missed the mark. And so like, it's just this way of him telling us like God would never accept us. Like if God had a team, he wouldn't pick you. If God was a captain, he wouldn't call you off the wall. If God was going on a date, you wouldn't be his date. It's like this constant weight of, like, am I enough? But here's where it's the worst, and this is where we're going to go for a few minutes today. It's one thing to feel rejection for us personally, for us to feel like we're not enough. It's, it's another thing for our spiritual enemy to try to make us feel that way and try to remind us of our shortcomings, mistakes, and that we're not enough. But to me, we live in a world where sometimes the greatest challenge of rejection, especially when it comes to our connection with Christ, is what other people make us feel. That we live in a world and we live in a culture and we live in a society that sometimes people point their finger at us and maybe not literally but figuratively and make us feel like, hey, you would never fit in. Your lifestyle, your actions, your choices, where you've been and what you've done, God would never accept you. And here's what I want you to know just right out of the gate today is people have authority to reject you from a lot of things, but they can never influence your acceptance before God. That's great. Listen, I can end right there. I'm telling you, people can tell you you can't have the job, you can't have the date, you can't have the guy, you can't have the girl, you can't have the promotion, you can't get into the school. But I'm telling you, there is no person, no priest, no church, no bishop, no grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, neighbor. There is no Baptist, no Pentecostal, no charismatic. There is no one on the face of the earth that can influence your acceptance before God. It's just you and him, and that's it. And that's important to know because, again, we live in this society of rejection and it's just part of it. But if we walk away from anything in this world, we got to have a connection with Christ. And sometimes we get talked out of it and sometimes we get influenced out of it. Sometimes we feel like we don't measure up. Like, have you ever walked in the room at church and feel like everybody else had it together but you? Everybody else had a great week but you? Everybody else had a peaceful Sunday morning but you? And we show up and we feel like we're under the magnifying glass. And I just want you to know again today that it's just between you and God. There's no person that can choose to reject the relationship that you can have with Christ. So today we're going to continue this series we started several weeks ago entitled Bad Girls of the Bible. Bad Girls of the Bible. We've been looking at some characters found in some of the stories in Scripture and trying to glean from their character, trying to glean from their decisions, who they are, what they did, and how that can apply to our life. Pastor Ronnie did a great job last week, didn't he? He did a great job. Let's give him some love. Just to clarify, though, because I, you know, some of you guys, he said this, uh, we woke up without water. We got it later on, so we did make it third service. And he seemed to me to give the impression that he found out at 6 o'clock in the morning he was preaching. Didn't, didn't you all get that? Yeah, he found out like two months ago he was preaching. He just found out at 6 o'clock that I wouldn't be on the front row. So just be clear, just be clear, he knew he was preaching. But he did a great job. But uh, this is going to be my, uh, my third in this series. 
And what's ironic is I've covered women that really don't have any names in scriptures, powerful characters, powerful stories, but we looked at Lot's wife. We don't know really what her name is for sure. We looked last uh, two weeks ago at a, a young lady who had a pretty provocative dance. Today I'm going to look at another unlaid, uh, unnamed lady. And as we get into this story, I just want to give you this setup because the story we're going to look at, it, at today is the story of a lady who faces this powerful political, social, cultural, and religious rejection. And in the middle of all of it, finds acceptance with Christ. And so it's the, it's the story, if you have a Bible, it's the story of the sinful woman. But let me give you the setup before we jump into the story because kind of this backdrop of what's happening culturally is really important to the story. So everybody in this room, you probably have been to a party, been to a gathering, been to a friend's house where they got friends over. At this time in the, in the Middle Near East, in this time, in this age, in this culture that Jesus lived in and walked in, it was a big deal for important people to get together. In fact, they would have these social gatherings and they would invite over the social elite, like who's the top name in the industry? Who's, who's the most important person? And you would try to get people to come to your house for dinner. And the goal of the gathering was not really just the food. The food was just there just to kind of offset everything else. Really, the goal of the gathering was to communicate, to talk about big topics of the day, to maybe listen to your special guests, what they thought about certain um, cultural events or certain local events. And so the goal of these gatherings were, hey, all these important people gathering in a room. But here's the thing is when you would show up, this is important, when your important guests would show up, when all of your guests would show up, but especially that important guest that you invited, how they were greeted was so significant in this culture. Like the same way if I would come to your house or you would come to mine, you know, I'm probably not just going to wave you in unless we're really good friends. If you're coming as my guest, I'm going to get up and open the door and greet you. I'm going to tell you, hey, can I get you something to drink? Can I take your coat? Whatever it is, I'm going to try to make you feel at home. There are certain cultural things that we do to try to make people feel accepted. In the time of Jesus, in the time of the story that we're about to look at, several things would happen that's real important to this story. If you walked into someone's home, as, especially as an invited guest, three things would happen. First of all, when you showed up, either the host of the party would either have a servant do it or the host themselves would do it, or at least they would provide the means for you to wash your feet. Because it's a big deal at that time. Like they weren't walking around in Jordan's kicks, right? They were walking around with sandals. Now, they weren't walking on concrete. They weren't walking on asphalt. They walked on the dirty, dusty, stank roads of the near Middle East. These are the same dirty, dusty roads that animals defecated on. These are the same dirty, dusty roads that people threw their trash on. So it wasn't just dust, it was nasty dirt. So when you went into a place, you wanted to wash your feet because you wanted to wash that dirt and crud off. So they would provide a means for you to do that. Number two thing would happen is they would give you some kind or they themselves would anoint you with some kind of scent or perfume. And the reason is they didn't take showers every day like we do. It might be several days before you get a shower, so you're out sweating, you're out in heavy robes, you're out in the humidity of the Middle East. Before you sat down in a close proximity to a group of friends, you wanted to put some deodorant on. And so they would provide the means for you to put some smell good on. Number three thing they would do is the host would come up and kiss you on the cheek and make you feel like a welcome guest. Then you would go and you would sit down at a table. Now, in this culture, they didn't have bar-top tables and they didn't have medium-top tables like many of us sit and eat dinner at. They sat at very low-to-the-ground tables and they would lean or they would recline on pillows. And there they would sit and they would eat and they would conversate. 
And so their feet, because they took their shoes off, their sandals off of the door, their feet would either be sticking out in front of them or they would recline on their side and their feet would be to the side or they would sit on their knees and their feet would be behind them. And they would sit there and they would talk. One more thing about this story. Rich people, wealthy people, they had homes that were kind of, they would have like, imagine like a patio. Imagine like a little overhang that was exposed so people walking by, they didn't have to wonder what was happening in your house. They could look and see at the gathering right there. This is important because they wanted to advertise who was at their house. Like they wanted everybody to know that someone important was at their house. And so other people, other, the common folk would walk by and they would stop at these gatherings. They would stop at these social click parties and they would lean in and they would listen to the conversation and they would watch the important people mingle. This is the story that we're about to see, is that Jesus has been invited to a socially elite party. He accepts the invitation. He shows up, and in the middle of this gathering, a prostitute shows up. So check this out. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, this word sat down to eat, this is what it means in the Greek. It means he reclined. He didn't sit in a chair. He reclined. One of the things I want you to notice right away, you got to pick up what didn't happen. Remember I told you what happened when you came into the house? So Jesus, the the typical things that should happen to a respected guest, getting your feet washed, getting your head anointed, and getting your cheek kissed, I want you to notice it didn't happen. He went right from this to sitting down to eat. This is really important. Keep rolling. When a certain immoral woman, like this is, Imagine this, imagine this scenario. All the people that should fit in the room are in the room, and this person who's an outcast, this person that doesn't fit in culturally, socially, religiously, this woman, this immoral woman, we don't know why she's called an immoral woman, but pretty much it's accepted um, commentator-wise that she was a prostitute. She was a whore. And so she shows up in the middle of this gathering Everybody putting her under the microscope, her knowing she doesn't measure up, her feeling the eyes of rejection on her. She's being shunned. She's being judged. She's being minimized. And she shows up in the middle of these gatherings. Watch this. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there. Let me ask you a question. What did she hear? Like, this is big. So here's a woman on one side of the city Somehow the rumor, somehow the story gets to her that Jesus is at this guy, Simon the Pharisee, a religious leader. What did, he, what did she hear that made her want to go be there? Well, see, the, the rumor on the boulevard about Jesus was a couple things. Number one, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. That Jesus didn't just accept the socially elite people. Jesus didn't just accept the people that fit in the religious bubble. That Jesus accepted everybody, no matter who they were, what they had done, where they had been, no matter what it was, Jesus was a friend of sinners, and she knew she was a sinner. And so she, she started saying, what if it's true? What if what I'm hearing about Jesus is true, that if everybody else in this world rejects me, maybe there's one person who will accept me? The other thing that was a rumor on the street about Jesus, not only was he a friend of sinners, but he was a forgiver of sin. Like multiple times he tells people, your sins are forgiven. And man, she had a lot of heartache and she had a lot of garbage in her life. She had made a lot of decisions that she regretted along the way. And she needed to do something with that guilt and something with that burden. And she thought, maybe, just maybe, what I'm hearing about Jesus is true. And I'm going to go take a risk. 
Here's a question I want everybody to ask themselves. What are people in your circle of influencing hearing you say about Jesus? Because the story she heard, what she heard from other people got her to the place and experienced the life change we're about to see. See, we live in a society right now, and it's increasingly atheistic, and that's okay. People have a right to believe what they believe. People have a right to their point of view. But I think the reason so many people are turning away is because we live in this society and culture of rejection, especially when it comes to religion, especially when it comes to a connection with Christ, that we've allowed this world to get the idea that God is this God up in heaven who's mad at the world, who hates people, who can't wait to judge them, who can't wait to send them to hell. And that's not the truth. We need more people who've experienced his love and his grace and life change telling people around us, hey, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He met me and he'll meet you too. He can change your life just like he changed mine. What are people in your circle of influencing hearing from you about Jesus? As a church, I just want you to know, if this is your church home and we're your church family, one of the greatest things you can do is take personal responsibility to share your story with people. You'd be surprised what God would do to use you to share Christ with someone else and see them come to the same relationship that you came to. And so she hears that Jesus is there and watch this, this last piece. She heard he was eating there and she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. So before she heads that direction... Last minute before she goes out of the house to go where Jesus is to see if there's maybe somebody that'll stop rejecting her and start accepting her, she grabs this alabaster box, this this jar of expensive perfume. Check this out. Then she knelt behind him at his feet. Weeping, her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, I'm going to be honest, on some level, this is disgusting because I am not a feet person. Come on, somebody, all the non-feet people, wave your hands. Not only that, now you say, well, it's Jesus. Listen, stop being religious. I don't care whose feet, Jesus' feet, my feet, it's feet. She shows up. This is so big. In the middle of scorn, in the middle of rejection, and the people measuring her and saying she doesn't measure up, she walks in and nobody says a word. I love it. Everybody's waiting for somebody else to speak up. Everybody's waiting for somebody to say, you don't belong here, and nobody says anything. And in the middle of this gathering, as all of these important people are sitting at a table eating food, she comes behind Jesus. Everybody knows she's there, and she starts washing his feet because she thinks maybe this is the guy. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one that maybe would accept me. Everybody in the community knew who she was. Everybody knew the lifestyle she lived. Everybody knew that she was a whore and a prostitute and dirty. She was looking for somebody just to accept her. And maybe he's the one. And so she got there and she comes to Jesus. And man, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't reject her. He doesn't push her away. And she starts thinking, maybe it's true. Maybe Jesus will accept me. And she's so moved by his acceptance. Or at least at this point, at least that he's not rejected her. She starts weeping. And the more she cries, the harder she cries until tears are running down her face. And she's anointing. She's broken this bottle of perfume and she's rubbing it on the feet of Jesus and her tears are running down and dripping onto the feet of Jesus. You got to remember, they're not just feet, they're unclean feet. Remember, he didn't get the opportunity to wash his feet coming in. So there's probably stink and nastiness in the dirt of the road. And she doesn't care because she's so moved by the potential of a person that would love her and accept her. 
And she's weeping and she's crying. She's overwhelmed. And eventually her feet are so wet, she looks for something to wipe his feet off and there's nothing there. So the Bible tells us, this story tells us, she lets down her hair and she's wiping the feet of Jesus and her tears with her hair. The reason this is so big is because what she is doing is absolutely culturally, not biblically, but culturally unacceptable. For a woman to let down her hair in public at that time would be very similar for any lady today to take off her blouse in a social gathering today. Same thing. When you got married, you put up your hair and you never took down your hair in public again. The only time you let down your hair was at nighttime in the presence of your husband alone. And it's scandalous what she's doing, but she don't care. And this is what I want you to hear today, is she doesn't care what anybody thinks. She is tired of people judging her and minimizing her and measuring her and saying she's not enough. She wants to be accepted by somebody, and she's found it in Jesus. I want you to know there may be a lot of people that have rejected you and put you down and socially separated you and said you're not enough, but I want you to know there is one person who will accept you right where you are, and it is Jesus. Listen to this. Being defined by God instead of men is the key to your position in his presence. See, like we have to decide whether we're going to let people define us or God define us. Because I've stood on walls and didn't get picked. I've tried to get girls and got rejected. I tried to get on teams and didn't make it. Everybody in this room knows what it is to be rejected. But I want you to know that there is one person, and when you decide it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me, the only person who can define my position and who I am is Jesus. And I just want you to know something today, that when you read and you get some descriptions of who we are, God says you're his beloved. God says you're his child. God says you're his sons and his daughters. God says you're his bride. God says you belong to him. God says you've been bought with a price. I want you to know today it doesn't matter what the loudest voice in your social, political, or religious circle is saying about you. God is saying you are accepted. That's powerful. I remember uh, at our last church, uh, we were there again for about 11, 11 and a half years. And so we had a system because we have visitors just like at our church now. And so everything we do here is intentional. And so we would have, at that time, we called it our, our uh, first time guest system, which means when we had a first time guest show up, there was an intentional system or process that was immediately implemented that would help recognize that they were here and try to get them to come back. Just like many of you here, you've attended for the first time and you got a card in the mail and uh, we, sent out, we sent out gift cards. We did a while for Starbucks and we do Chick-fil-A. How many people got a gift card here because you visited? So most of you guys here. And so at that time, we started doing just a form letter. So when someone came to, our, to the church I was at, we would send out a form letter, which means Sunday morning in church, we'd say, hey, if you're a first-time guest, fill out a Connect card or fill out a Connect envelope. Monday morning, my secretary, she would get all those Connect cards together and she would open up the form letter in her word processor. And the only thing she would change on the letter is the name. So she'd delete the previous name and she'd type in, like there was a card, Mike, Mike Jones visited. So she'd type in, Dear Mike, and she would print the letter, same letter. And then she would go to the next card, Judy. She would just delete backspace Mike and type in, Dear Judy. So it looked like everybody got a personal letter. It was a form letter. Are you all tracking with me? So, and she would do that with all the cards, stuff, the, stuff them in an envelope and mail them to the person's house. So this one particular Sunday, this couple showed up and like it was, it was clear as soon as they walked in the door, like they weren't from our neck of the woods. We were in a small, uh, in a small area, about 3,500 people, about an hour west of Pittsburgh. And this couple walked in, as soon as they walked in, the way they dress, the way they carry themselves, the way they look like, you tell they're not from here. And so I got a chance to meet them, and they were from California, which was a long way from East Liverpool. 
And so they said, hey, we just moved here not too long ago. We've heard great things about this church, wanted to come and pay it a visit. And so after service, we're chatting and like, man, we love it. This is a great church. This is exactly what we've been looking for. We're definitely going to be back. And they seemed genuinely fired up. So I was fired up that they were fired up. Let's get fired up. And so, so the next day, you know, they filled out a connect envelope. I think her name was Lisa. So the next day, we're filling out all of the form letters to all the people who visited the day before. And so my secretary opens up the form letter, and she deletes the name, and she's typing in, you know, Dear Tom, and types in Tom. Well, she gets to uh, this person that had also attended. I think maybe her name was Melissa. And she types, Dear Melissa, and then prints the letter and folds it up. Well, she gets to Lisa, the lady that I had met, the couple, and she forgot to change her name. So she just printed a Melissa letter and sent it to Lisa. Are y'all tracking with me? Now, here's why this is a big deal. Like, that's a mess up. We don't like to make mistakes like that, but mistakes happen. So we didn't know what happened at the time. So I'm sure Lisa's at home, and she opens a letter, and it says, Dear Melissa. So next week, I'm expecting this couple to come back. They don't come back. And I'm like, well, man, they said they loved it. I thought they'd be back. Well, things happened. So I thought they'll be back next week. So next Sunday comes, they don't show up. So I thought, I'm going to call them. She filled out a Connect card, left her number. So I call her up, and I'm like, hey, this is Pastor Steve. You know, you visited a couple weeks ago. We met after church. You said you loved it. I just haven't seen you. Just want to see what's going on. And this is what she said. This is a true story, by the way. This is absolutely true. She said, well, <clears throat> she said, uh, she said I, just figured, um, I just figured you knew the truth about me, and so, you know, we didn't, we didn't really feel comfortable coming back. And I'm like, I said, I'm, what do you mean? I'm not really sure what you mean. She said, she said well, you use my screen name on the letter. And I was like, Lisa, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, tell me what's going on. What do you mean? Like, you came, you had a good time waiting on you to come back. She said, we got the letter in the mail, you thanking us for coming, and you used my screen name, Melissa, and my name's Lisa. That's what we told you my name was, but use the name Melissa. And I'm like, I'm not trying. She said, well, I was a, I was a porn star in California, and my screen name was Melissa, and we thought when you sent us, the, like, it was a mistake. We just didn't change. She said, we thought you were letting us know that we knew that she was a porn star, which I thought, how would she know that I knew porn stars' names? <laughs> I was more offended by that than I was. <laughs> so really, so she thought, because just a simple mistake of forgetting to change, she thought we were sending her like this covert message, like, wink, wink, we know you're <laughs> Melissa does Minnesota, whatever. And... And, but we know, and so this is what she said. She said, so we loved it. We loved the church. We had a great experience. But now that you know my story, which she had been in the porn industry for like 15 years, had decided to get out, which is why they moved from California, wanted to kind of get away from the big city, came to church, loved it. But she said, we can't come back because she says, now everybody knows. And I said, we didn't know until you just told us. And I'm not going to tell She said, I, we just can't. I'm just afraid people will look down on me. And I felt horrible that somehow just through a miscommunication, through a simple mistake on a form letter, that she thought we were judging her and putting her under the microscope. And I just want everybody here to know this who struggles. Never let culture tell you how close you can get to Jesus. You can get as close as you want, and nobody can keep you from him. And the sad part was, man, Lisa had determined that I was judging her. Somehow our church was, was minimizing her. And she said, man, I just can't come back. It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. So you go through this story, and here's what's really cool about this story is, is what this lady did. Again, man, she's going through this, this crazy thing of kissing the feet of Jesus and wiping his, his feet off. And, 
She's anointing it with oil. And this is so cool because this, remember that alabaster box? Remember that vial of perfume? Remember, the Bible says she intentionally took it. Before she left her house to go where she was with Jesus, she took the perfume. Come on, everybody say perfume. Like, why would she take it? It's because it represented not just a way to anoint the feet of Jesus, it represented her industry. See, this perfume was part of her lifestyle. It's what she put on herself to draw her customer base in. That as she stood on the street and as men walked by, they were lured in by the scent of her perfume. It was not only the thing that she used to lure men in, it was the thing she used to cover up the scent after she was with a man. And so this was key to who she was. This perfume, this expensive bottle of perfume was key to her business model. It was key to her living successfully as a prostitute. And when she went and she broke it and smashed it at the feet of Jesus, what she was saying was, I'm done with that old lifestyle and I'm becoming somebody new. It was an act of repentance and worship saying, I'm leaving the old behind and I want to be somebody new. Listen, I want everybody to know something. A lot of people are going to try to keep you from Jesus. But listen to me, the distance between between you and God is repentance. That's it. The distance between where you are and where he is, is repentance. And man, this lady, she showed up with such boldness. Here's a verse, Hebrews 11, uh, 4, uh, 4, 16 says, so let us come, read this with me, boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Well, who is this to? This is to anybody who's willing to come. You say, but wait a minute, Pastor Steve, like you don't know, you don't know me and you don't know what I've done and you don't know what I've thought and it doesn't matter because this verse is to everybody. If you'll boldly come, well, what, what keeps you from boldly coming? What you think of yourself, what you've allowed the enemy to make you think of yourself, what you've allowed the religious elite to make you think of yourself. And when you determine it's not what people think of you, but what God thinks of you, you'll come just like this prostitute came. And so listen to this. It's our repentance, not a reputation that defines our acceptance before God. Again, man, she showed up and she felt broken. See, here's here's the crazy thing, and this, this is not talked a lot about in church. Like, while we need to celebrate that God accepts us, God calls us to repentance, which means when we come and know that he accepts us where we are, God really gives us the strength and gives us the grace, not that we'll ever be perfect, but our goal is and our heart should be that now we want to live a life that honors him, which means sometimes we got to let some old stuff go and, and embrace a new life as we follow him. And that's exactly what she did. The reason this was so powerful, it wasn't just the crying. It wasn't just the weeping. It's what she broke in his presence to say, I'm choosing a brand new lifestyle. So here's the question. What is it that you need to let go of as you get into his presence? Go through in this story and says, <clears throat> Here's the contrast. This is powerful. So here's this woman. We don't know her name, the sinful woman, the immoral woman. There's another person in the story that's pretty significant. It says, when the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this. So he's watching this prostitute rub herself and her hair all over the feet of the rabbi, Jesus. And when the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, which just because you don't say it out loud, God knows what you're saying. I have found it's the religious people that mumble inside the most. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. Come on, read it. She is a... mm. See, here's the problem that Simon made. Simon thought there were two categories in life. There were holy people and unholy people. 
And as he sat there and he looked at that woman, that prostitute, here's what he did. Is he put himself in the holy category and said, her, she's unholy. And I'm just telling you, listen, can I just be honest today? I've done this. I've looked at people. I've heard of decisions. I've watched lifestyles. And, and here's what's crazy is the longer you're in church, the more likely you are to do this. It's just weird. Like we start buying into this thing like, I earned this. Like I deserve this. And I'm just telling you, listen, all of us come to Christ the same way by his goodness and his grace and our repentance. It's all the same way. But the longer we play the game, the more we start believing our own hype. Come on, anybody. Anybody know like the, when you look back at your, when you were younger, the older you get, the cooler you were? Come on, somebody. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. Like the longer we serve Christ, the more we think somehow we deserve it. And the truth is there are two categories. There's a holy category and an unholy category, but there's only one person that fits in the holy category, and that's Jesus. All the rest of us are in the unholy category. I'm just telling you. And so Jesus didn't show up, and he didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus showed up to make dead people alive. Because we're all dead in sin. We've all made mistakes and we all need the life that Jesus came to bring. And so she's a sinner. Watch this. It says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. He's reading his mail. <laughs> I love it. He's like, Simon? Like, I believe if the dude had a middle name, Jesus would have used it right here. <laughs> Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. It's about to get real. See, the contrast of the story is a broken woman that's been rejected by society that believes maybe, just maybe, she can find acceptance with the friend of sinners. Now, the contrast is a man who thinks he's got it all together, and I think maybe he thinks that Jesus is going to tell him, hey, this woman can learn something from you. Instead, he's about to tell Simon, hey, you can learn something from this woman. Then Jesus told him a story. Come on, we're almost done. Everybody read this. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them, come on, y'all got to say it, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. You know what Jesus is saying is, we all have a debt. My debt might be bigger than yours. My de your debt might be bigger than mine. But we all have a debt. We all have a past. We all have something that Jesus should reject us over. But he accepts us nonetheless because Jesus paid the price for all of us to be in his presence. And he goes through, listen to this. Jesus didn't come again to make dead people good, but dead people alive. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look, y'all got to read this. Look at this woman kneeling here. It's like he wants attention drawn, but he says, he doesn't say, look at this sinner. He doesn't say, look at this prostitute. He says, hey, Simon, that's a woman in front of you. Come on. We do this thing where we put people in boxes and we label them and we give people tags and we look at some people and we judge them based on their lifestyle hey, that person's a fill-in-the-blank, whatever you want. And once we've tagged somebody as a certain type or a certain lifestyle, that's all we see them as. What Jesus is saying about this prostitute that suffered rejection her whole life, you know what he says? She's a woman. She's made in the image of God just like you are. She needs acceptance just like you do. It's not about her tags. It's not about her titles. It's not about the names people put on her. It's not about the people that measured her and said she came up short. She's a woman. And I'm just telling you, there will be the temptation 
in the church in this time, and this is why people are running from church instead of running to Jesus, is because they have perceived that when we look at them, all we see is their lifestyle, their mistakes, their struggles, and that's how we judge them. What God says is when you look at your neighbor, when you look at your coworker, in spite of what they've done, they are not what they've done. They are who God's called them to be. So see him as a person. He says, look, she's kneeling here. And when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Why would one person worship so desperately and another one just sit there? Here's why. Because the depth of your worship is dictated by the depth of his grace in your life. If you don't think you need grace, you'll never be driven to worship. See, the reason I live the life I live, the reason I I try to do what I do, the reason I chose to be a pastor, the reason I give the money I give, the reason I try to be the person I am, the reason I want to honor God is not to get God to love me. I want to be in response to because he loves me. That God said on the cross, I love you, Steve. And in my lifestyle, I want to say I love you back. But you'll only do that. You'll only live that life. You'll only worship. You'll only give. You'll only celebrate. If you really understand what Jesus has done to make you accepted. Story's almost over. He says, I tell you her sins, and they're many. No matter where you're at today, you might have a boatload of stories that you regret. That if everybody knew them, would judge you over. Jesus said, hey, she had a lot too, but he says this. He says, they've been forgiven. Everybody say that word, forgiven. So she's been shown much love, but a person who's forgiven little, shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, they started to whisper and murmur, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, she heard a rumor that there was somebody who would forgive her. There's somebody that would accept her. And she put the rumor to the test. She showed up, she made herself vulnerable, and she walked away changed. Because she found out the stories about Jesus is true. He is a friend of sinners. He does meet people where they are. And maybe you're here and you've heard that story and you've never put it to the test. Or you think your mistakes are too many or your struggles are too great. I'm telling you that if you'll come, God will meet you right where you are. So if you're here and you've never been accepted yet, you can be accepted. And for all the rest of us that have been accepted, here's your challenge. Don't be a Simon. See, I don't want to be a Simon church that looks at people and says, hey, I earned it. You got to earn it too. I want to be a Jesus church that recognizes I believe my way in and anybody can believe their way in. We're all accepted in Christ. And so that's the challenge. So when you look at this story, you got to ask yourself, am I more like the prostitute or am I more like the Pharisee? And if you really believe that you're totally prostitute, which means you're broken, You're lying to yourself because there's a little bit of Pharisee in every one of us. And if you don't see it, it's probably more there than you realize. And so I want to pray for us as a church. Lord, I pray, God, right now that we would put ourselves in this story and we would recognize quickly where we would be in this story. And I pray, God, any part of our heart, any part of our life, that God would be quick to judge and quick to minimize and quick to reject people around us. God, you would expose that religious spirit in us, that religious heart 
that makes us feel like we're better than others, that we need less grace than others. Lord, I pray Faith Church would be a church that recognizes we got here by grace and that same grace is available to every person in our community. God, let us be a Jesus church. And Father, I pray for some of us here that have never, never came because they never thought they'd be accepted. God, there's people here today that they got a lot of sin. They got a lot of stuff. They got a lot of baggage in their life. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I want to let go of my baggage. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to experience what that woman experienced. I want to be, I want to be forgiven. Then I'm going to pray one more closing prayer. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high. You say, Pastor Steve, pray for me today. I want to experience God's grace just like that woman did. Today, I want to experience forgiveness that she did. I want you to know it's available to you. All you have to do is ask him, and he'll meet you right where you are. All over this room, as I close in prayer, if you want to be included in this prayer, you want to say yes to God's grace and yes to his love, I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on, lift it up real high and leave it up so I can see it. Say, Pastor Steve, pray for me, man. I want to say yes to Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Come on, lift it up so I can see it real high. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, 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 thank you. I see all the way in the back. Thank you. A lot of hands. Let's close with this prayer. Come on, church. Say, Jesus, I believe that you love me and you accept me in spite of my past and you offer a brand new future. I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me, to come into my life and to help me from this day forward to follow you in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God for a lot of people right here that just gave their heart to the Lord?